0: Y'all ready to learn tonight? Amazing. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Tonight, we're going to ask the question, what is the Bible? So I thought it would be fitting to begin with the Bible. So let's do that. You'd be shocked. Some people could talk about Bible the whole time and never actually open it. So I would encourage you guys, as always, this is session number four of our Theology of the Gospel. You can text your questions to 480-571-1521. Uh, you, should be have, you should have a uh, booklet. Uh, my wife in the front row has a few extra. We're almost out. Um, but if you don't have one, uh, grab it. Hopefully you guys bring it back every week. And it's a lot of fill in the blank. This is a lot of information at one time. And uh, hopefully it will be a blessing to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man, or you can insert woman, of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Don't you desire to be a man or woman of God that is complete and equipped for every good work? In order to do that, we have to go to the Bible. And the Bible is inspired by God. We have to let it teach us. Everybody likes that. But we have to let it rebuke us. A lot more difficult. We have to let it correct us and to train us. Let me pray. Father, we're so grateful for your mercy. You are a God who decided to reveal himself through the scriptures. And tonight, we just, with a heart of gratitude, say thank you. God, you had every right to shut us off. You had every right to give up on us. But you are a good God who never stops running after us. And so, God, I pray that tonight we come to the scriptures and understanding that the Bible is the greatest gift that we have here on earth. And I pray that we honor it, that we use it, that we memorize it, and that we trust it. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says? Amen. 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 In your notes, I have this quote. By the Baptist faith, the message. What a Baptist thing to do, amen? All right, so, the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without, look, any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. There are some denominations, there are some groups of people that pick and choose what parts of the scriptures they believe. I remember I was at a prayer walk in Riverside, California, walked into a church, um, Christian, Christian scientist, I think is what they were called, and they really conveniently liked all parts of the Bible except where sin was mentioned and where hell was mentioned, and so we had a long conversation about that. See, it's very important that none of this, this all is one cohesive story. And when we begin to kind of remove bits and pieces here, you begin to remove the whole Bible altogether. So let's look at that tonight. How does God communicate himself? It's through the Bible. Uh, let's talk about ways that he reveals himself. Number one, as you see on the big header, is general revelation. How does God, uh, you know, partake in general revelation? Number one, it's through his creation. You see this in Psalm 19. You also see this in Romans 1. We get a glimpse of God through his creation. And so it's important for us to see, okay, it's impossible if you look at Romans one, you have to look up into the sky and say, okay, there is a God, there is a higher being. And I would argue when we we don't think so, I think culture has kind of trained us to, to look away from God. Our own souls would rather look away from God. But if we're very honest, we look at creation and we can get a glimpse of God the way that we naturally love, the way that we naturally want family. There's so many ways that creation points to the creator. And we have to be honest about that. Number two is the nat- man's nature. Um, there is, this is in Romans 2. There is an internal law that is written on man's heart. So you can go to unreached people groups who have never read the Bible, and they still have laws that kind of a lot coincide with the scriptures. They just kind of inherently know you shouldn't murder right? They inherently know these things because God has written eternity on our hearts. That's in Ecclesiastes. And so by creation, and also it's kind of naturally, some people call our conscience, we can say, okay, there is a higher power. C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, talks about how we all know there is a code. We all know uh, God has put morality in our hearts He said, imagine you're in Chicago. I don't know why I picked Chicago. I think maybe that's why he, maybe he picked it. I don't know if I'm making this up. Keep going, Trey. So in Chicago, you see a house on fire and you hear a baby crying. You look around. Nobody's around. There are zero witnesses. Will you go and save the baby? See, the nature of law, like like the nature of, of evolution would say, dog eat dog. You need to protect yourself. Don't run in. Most of us would still run in. Even though there was zero accountability, it didn't, doesn't matter, we would have never gotten in trouble. We just know within our hearts we need to protect the vulnerable. We, we need to have morality. And so we'd run in to save the baby. And, and that's written on our hearts. So just by creation and our own internal struggles, we can get a glimpse of God. But by God's grace, he's done more than that. God has given us his word, which is special revelation. Let's look at special revelation. Key ways God has especially revealed himself. Um, number one, through historical events. You see this recorded in the Bible. Specific events that are recorded that are special events that God does with salvific significance. For example, the story of the parting of the Red Sea. Or the Exodus story in general. God acting for his people. This is special revelation. This is God uniquely entering into history and blessing and saving his people. You see historical events, and you can even point to historical events in your own life, the way that God just, he didn't, he's not, we don't believe in deism, meaning God created and then just let everything go. He is actively involved in his creation still today. The second thing we see through special revelation we see in the scriptures is divine speech. God specifically speaks to particular people. You see in Genesis, right, God talks to Abraham. You see the calling of Samuel. He keeps going to his mentor saying, did you call me? He said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So, hey, did you call me? I didn't call you. This is God speaking. So go lay back down and say, okay, God, what do you have for me? God divinely speaks into your life. Not all of us have that. We have the scriptures. So we have that by way of the Bible. But there's been times in my life, I talked about it last week, I surrender my life to ministries. I believe God divinely spoke to me, um, but not in a way that will supersede the Bible. So you can claim God spoke to you, but if it doesn't match with all of Scripture, it was not God that spoke to you. Very important. A lot of us, people built entire religions saying, I know that says this, but God, an angel told me this. Well, Galatians says "Devil, the devil likes to dress up as an angel of light and deceive us. If it's another gospel, don't believe it. So just be very careful with that. That's why Baptists generally, we don't really entertain too much of God told me because, okay, no, God already told us everything we need to know here. So if it doesn't align, we're not having this conversation. Uh, The best way I would say God has especially revealed himself is the person of Jesus Christ. This is the highest form of God's revelation. You have Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, John 1, 1 through 18, John 10. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the bread of life. I am the word, the word made flesh. And so this is the greatest way God revealed himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But what we have, what we're going to talk about tonight, is Scripture. This is the, the whole of Scriptures. This is how we can daily interact with the revelation of God. We, we wrestle with the passages. This is how God communicates to us. Without Scripture, we would not have enough information to understand and interpret the other forms of special revelation. So the scripture is the lens by which we can understand history, understand when people say God told me. So this is our helpful way to understand what God is trying to communicate to us. And again, he is a gracious God for actually revealing himself to us through his word. You look at history, many, many people never had access to the Bible like we do. Because of the Gutenberg printing press, it revolutionized, it sparked the Reformation, right? Because now, not just priests can read the Bible, but everybody can, and they wrote it in everyday language so that people can understand. And we still, as Southern Baptists, we still support people who are translating the Bible into unique languages throughout the world on a day-by-day basis. So now let's talk about inspiration. There are different views of inspiration. In other words, different views of how, how can... We really believe that all these different authors over more than, over a period of over a thousand years, how can they put something together that has any relevance for us today, right? And so the question is, how is God the author of the Bible? Was it man? Is there a lot of influence here that was purely man, or is it all just purely God? And so what you have in the Bible, you have 66 books. You have how many in the Old Testament? Anybody need to go back to school? Thirty-nine. How many in the New Testament? Twenty-seven. Because you can do math. Shout out to you. Ah, I'm just kidding. That was my mom, right? My mom always taught me the number. There's over forty different authors, and it's over around fifteen hundred years uh, in production. So, and it's all together in one volume. That's what's beautiful. It's all one story. And too many people treat the Bible like a cookbook where you just take a few recipes and then you make a life better. They treat it like this magic code. No, it's one story. And it really does make sense when you read it in context. Here's the different views of inspiration. Number one, some people adhere to intuition. So this is, people say, the Bible is a book written by religious experts, and it's 100% human. So this is opposite of dictation, which we're about to talk about. But this is very liberal scholarship. it's a lot of people that take this, this route. They're not Christians at all. They just study the Bible. Do you know that's possible? There's people, their whole life is to study the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible. They just treat it as a historical document. So some people say just pure intuition, just authors over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, I think three different continents, and yet we still somehow you know, got around the same message. We don't adhere to that one. Elimination. So this view Uh, is the writers were especially open to the Spirit, but it has errors within the text. So it's possible some people are Christians that believe this, but this is summarized as the elimination theory. And so again, the writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to a degree, but there's certainly room for error. And again, when you do that, it kind of puts you in a unique situation where you're able to say, well, I don't like that part. Maybe that's the part that had error. So now you're not really submitting to it at all. The next view you have is dynamic. So the Bible is a human book with styles and personalities of the writers. But it's accurate in religious doctrine, but not in a complete historical sense. So people like at Fuller Seminary believe this to say like, yes, there's styles. And that is so true. There's different personalities. And so God uniquely allows the writer to really flex their own muscle the way they think It's good for doctrine, but some of the history, some of like when the king was born and he died and when this and that, they're saying that's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, It wasn't written for that purpose. The next view people have is verbal. So the verbal theory is the Bible is a human book showing the personality and style of the authors, and it is a divinely inspired book with the words of the spirit. So this is very standard evangelical view typical Baptist church, they would say this is what we believe. Um, sometimes we call it a dynamic verbal view, um, saying it's ensuring that they are not mislabeled as dictation theorists, which we'll talk about next. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very uniquely human, um, it's, but it's also fully God. You know, it, it's God inspired it, and we can trust what the Bible says about its intent, and that's huge. We have to trust it when an author wrote it, he wrote it for a specific purpose. So we have to learn that purpose and then trust whatever that is. The last view that people have is dictation. So this view is like the Bible is a divine book inspired by the Spirit, but the human writers are very passive. So like all of a sudden they just get taken over and they write whatever God tells them to write. Generally, scholars do not hold to this theory. It's more theoretical. Um, it's not hard to see uh, that John writes different than Paul, right? It's, it's really easy to read and go, well, it's clearly God allows the human to kind of use his own creativity the only way he thinks, right? Luke was very doctoral, like he was a doctor, so he wrote a lot about healings, and he was very specific. Peter, I mean, we're just pumped he could write, you know what I'm saying? He was just fishing all day, right? So he's really to the point. Um, so it's really helpful. It's great that that God used all sorts of different people, which is an encouragement to us, right? That, that God doesn't have one type of person that he uses. He does, and that's humility. Um, but he allows different types of personalities. Uh, he, he uses the introvert and the extrovert. He uses the outspoken and the shy. I love that. So uh, let's see what's next here. Um, yeah, so what are the implications of inspiration? Oh, let me say one more thing about the doctrine of inspiration. Um, human authors of the Bible were inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to write exactly the words that God intended them to write. Okay, so what I believe is the authors didn't escape reality and start writing without knowing what they were doing. God didn't, like, knock them out and all of a sudden have them write in their sleep. The human authors, they wrote from their own experience, their own personality, and their own situations. I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. Um, but his leading was sure. It was intentional, and it was perfect. And even though they wrote out of their unique personality, it still spoke of divine truth. So it's really important for us to balance that. And some of us have a hard time balancing that equation. Um, sorry. Implications of, implications of inspiration. Is this on here? Yes. Okay, good. If we affirm the Bible is truly inspired by God, then we need to affirm that everything in the Bible is true. It ha- we have to acknowledge this is reliable. And every generation, there's parts of the Bible we love and other parts that we hate. And then the next generation, because of culture, it's reversed, right? So sometimes, uh, in some generations, they would hate that the Bible says uh, that spoke against owning slaves. But they loved that the Bible talked about sexual morality. Now it's kind of, you know, it can be flipped. And so it's just always, there's always pet sins every generation has. And we're mad that the Bible addresses it. God, it, it, it transcends culture and time, and it always addresses all of the things we have to trust it. The other thing, um, the, if, the, if God is the author of the Bible, then the Bible means something. Okay, The ultimate meaning is what God the author intended it to be. So again, your first question when you're reading your Bible, and by the way, for those who are at Passion Creek Church, uh, Pastor Caleb is going to be doing a four-week workshop on how to study your Bible in August, and it's going to be really good. I'm really excited for it to really empower you. How do you read the Bible on your own? But the first question shouldn't it be, what does this mean to me? Right? It's a good question, but it's not the first question. The first question should be, what does this Bible passage mean, and what did God intend it to mean? right? What is the authorial intent for all of mankind? And now that I've established that, now what does it mean for me? You can get really, you can make the Bible, I'm telling you, you can make the Bible say anything without context. That's why you have people that just take a verse and they think they've slam dunked on you, but they've completely missed the whole context. So it's very important for us to understand that. Uh, If the Bible is God speaking, then everything is there on purpose, right? So, It's actually wrong of us when we're like, oh, Leviticus, can you believe that book? Just skip it. Well, God wrote that book, so maybe there's a reason, right? Maybe we should honor all the books of the Bible. And we can tend to say, and the other thing that's kind of problematic is, well, let's just talk about when the red letters, that's the most significant, when Jesus spoke. That's just as significant as Leviticus. They hold the same value because it's all God's word. So we have to remember that. We can't play this priority game. Genealogies have a purpose, by the way. Um, now, sometimes you can just skip it because you don't understand it yet. I'd rather, too many people, I'm going to read the Bible. They go to Matthew, and it starts with genealogy. They say, I forget this. This is boring, and they're done. You know, keep pressing through or skip. It doesn't matter yet, especially if you haven't read the Bible before. Skip the genealogies. Skip some stuff that doesn't make sense. The point is, can you please keep reading. The devil, way too often... Uses genealogies and Leviticus to say, you know what, I can't read this thing. Just skip the book for now, punt it for later, and come back to it. There's so much rich stuff in the Bible, and it's sad that we give up on it too soon. The thing that's really important, though, if the Bible is God speaking, we need to realize that the Bible is still speaking to us today. Hebrews 4.12. I'll go there real quick. Hebrews chapter 4. This is why on Sundays, our church, we preach from the word of God because the opinion of man, it'll I'll help you all the way to the parking lot, but then your life won't be changed, right? But the word of God will change you forever. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why you hear a lot of people say, man, pastor, I feel like you spoke right to me. Well, it's because you're human and we all struggle with the same things. And God's word told us how to go fight against it. And so a lot of times, especially if our hearts are open to it, the Bible will just hit us right where we're at. And it has an incredible ability to transcend time, to transcend culture and to convict us in a beautiful way. Now, let's do a little historical application here. We have, um, we've had in the late 1800s to the early 1900s, and we're still, I think we're kind of dealing with the effects of it today as well. But you had um, a lot of, um, as Americans, we have debated a lot about the significance of the Bible and what to believe and what not to believe. And so you have two different camps in the late 1800s that we're trying to figure out how do we approach the scriptures and society? How do we apply the Bible to the world? So on one side you have liberalism, liberalism, or modernism, and they were saying, okay, the point is God is personal and God is powerful, and so we have to find a way to make it culturally relevant. The other side said, no, we don't need to bend our knee at all. Society has to conform to Scripture. We're going to make sure it just says what it says, and it's going to be mean. We don't care. Let's just preach. And so you actually have uh, the Scopes trial. Have you ever heard of that? Some people call it the monkey trial, right, in the 1920s. And this was this big war. And really, you had two different sides, extremes in the church. You had the modernist side saying, let's just teach evolution. This is just the way of the future. You know, who, uh, you know I understand that the Bible says this, but let's be relevant. And so those churches grew quickly. In the 1920s and even before that, they were saying, you know what, maybe we haven't, you know, maybe there's some stuff here, and I'm being kind of caricature of this, but, you know, some of the Bible, let's just not talk about that, let's just talk about love. And what happens every time when generations do this, the church explodes. This modern church, wow, they're relevant, they care, they, you know, they, honestly, they're they're okay with my pet sin, and so they're loving. The problem, though, is if you really take that view all the way to its end of, you know, the Bible doesn't really matter. You, you go there because you're pumped the church says that. But then you start to think, well, that means nothing matters. Why am I here? Why are we going to church? Let's just go party and have fun. So those churches grow and explode, and then they completely dissipate. Because they, they, they you see what I'm saying? They hurt themselves. The, the Bible doesn't matter. Then why are we gathering together every week to talk about it? Let's just go, let's go to the lake. And so that collapses. It has these moments where they're excited and then it collapses. But the other side, the fundamental side, also was wrong because they were very much all about truth but not about love. And so they were very much not welcoming. If you were this certain type of person, you're not even allowed into our church doors. And so there has to be that balance of, of fully God, you know, fully love, and fully grace. And so that's what's hard about the Bible. We have to do the hard work of believing the scriptures, which is full of truth and full of love. The Bible tells us to love everybody. And so this is really, really hard. Um, Liberalism taught. uh, I didn't realize I had these notes right here. I forgot. Uh, The Bible is the best religious book, but it has errors. Other things that liberalism taught is God is mostly imminent. In other words, he's mostly near, but it's mostly in love. Uh, Human beings, this is number three in liberalism, liberalism, that's bad. Human beings are good and, and they sin because society corrupted them. So it's blame the world. And there is a point where the world has corrupted us, but we have corrupted ourselves. The scripture is very clear on that. Another thing with liberalism, when you begin to take apart the Bible, yeah, Jesus is the best person ever with the highest God consciousness of any person, but his death was not substitutionary, right? What he did on the cross is not, um, you know, it it doesn't really uh, have uh, an impact for me. Let me, okay, okay, good. Um, The other thing is salvation is not a personal relationship with God, and liberalism also says everybody makes it to heaven, right? So universalism, everything's going to be okay because they don't like saying sin, and that sounds mean, and it does sound mean, you know, and especially if we say it the wrong way. Fundamentalists, they were right in this way. They pushed back against liberalism. Um, I can't ever say liberalism. Uh, Number one, the Bible is infallible. It is right, right? We're going to trust it. Number two, human beings are sinners, and we have to stick with that. Number three, Christ died as a substitute. Christ has to be your savior. Number four, the resurrection was a historical event. The modernists, the liberalists were saying resurrection is a beautiful metaphor. No, it actually happened. Jesus rose again. See, when you begin to do this, you start to pick apart the Bible. And you may say, yeah, the resurrection's true, but in a metaphorical sense, well, you're kind of robbing it of altogether, right? So the fundamentalists, that was actually good in those values, but what happened is they took it so far, they were saying if you don't believe those, they were saying this is a place to believe before you belong. And we say we are a place to belong before you believe. You get the difference? So you can go so far one side and say before you even enter our doors and learn about us, you have to be completely on our side. Well, I don't know if I'm on your side yet. Okay, then go away. Right. So it's important for us to know that. So how do we Read our Bibles. Um, this is very important for us to understand. How do I read my Bible? So, I'm hopefully, this will be very helpful for you, very practical. Uh, Bible reading is essential to the Christian life. Most people miss out on the power of God's Word because they do not use the proper tools. Raking is easy, but you only wind up with leaves. Digging is difficult, but you wind up with gold. And some of us were bored with our Bibles because We've only been taught to rake. We need to learn the discipline of digging. And what's hard is a lot of us, we just assume it should be easy. And the moment we are confronted with anything difficult, we just throw it away. My prayer tonight is that we would recognize how powerful the word of God is and that it is worth having headaches over. It is worth studying and it is worth wrestling with. It will change your life from the inside out. It's very important for us. understand. The first thing to know is the Bible is one grand story. The grand story is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We talked about this in session one already, so I'll be brief here, but creation, you see the Genesis account, Genesis 1 through 3, we have this narrative, okay, that in the beginning God, not in the beginning of man, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we then see that he created the animals, and he created mankind after our own image, all that's very important. Genesis uh, 4 through 11, you quickly see how mankind just messes it up. Or, sorry, Genesis 3 through 11, mankind continues to fail. We continue to sin. Um, but then you see a glimmer of hope in Genesis 12. You really see it also in Genesis 3. But Genesis 12, God says, Through you, Abraham, I will bless the nations, right? This is a picture of the coming of Jesus. And so the rest of the Old Testament, is wrestling with this idea that we have fallen, we have separated ourselves from God, we need to be redeemed. And the Old Testament, we're constantly looking for the Messiah to come, and we keep thinking, oh, is David the man? Is Solomon the man? Is he the man to save us? And all of these earthly kings, they have moments where they really show the beauty of God and show elements of Jesus, but they fail. And the worst part is they all die, and they don't resurrect again. So we're always left going back to say, what are we going to do? How, is there hope? We are promised redemption. How is this going to happen? So redemption, you see that in Matthew 1, Luke 1, John 1, Mark 1, right? Jesus enters into the story. He dies for us, and he raises again, and he offers that power to you and me when we confess our sins. Now you have the book of Acts through Revelation 22, you have restoration. The church is on mission to restore this world to God's original designed purpose, to live in holistic community, to flourish together, to have shalom here on earth as it is in heaven. When you read the Bible that way, it really comes alive. If you just read the Bible in one little verse, just to slam dunk on somebody, you can miss the whole point, right? So we have to understand it's one grand story. And if all of this stuff doesn't fit together, then it's your fault. uh, That you need to understand, okay, I need to always remember, is this creation? Is this fall? Is this redemption? Is this restoration? How can I apply it? So let's look at practical tips for reading your Bible. Uh, Even more more practical. Again, Bible reading is essential to the Christian life. Most people miss out on the power of God's Word because they do not use the proper tools. Okay, so The Bible is a literary work. So number one, the Bible is a narrative. You see this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, these stories are written to point to God's grace for his people. They aren't written for the reader to have to find clues for hidden meanings. So the church has really gotten way off, especially when you have a narrative. So narrative is just a story. Like we learn the narrative of Abraham and we follow his life. We learn the narrative of David. We see when he was a boy and we became king. We see the narrative of Noah. And for too often, we look at this narrative and we look for hidden codes. We say, oh, this tree really means this and this means that. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes a lot of times in the tree, you know, it's pointing to the cross. But other times we just get it way off. So we have to remember, you interpret a narrative accordingly. You don't look at it like a science book. You look at it like a story. And when we bring our science textbook to it, You've missed the whole point of it. The second kind of uh, literature we see in the Bible is prophecy. So you actually have major prophets. You have minor prophets. Why do we call them that? Major are like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It just means they know how to write a lot. So it's those bigger books in the Old Testament that are just long. The minor prophets are like Micah and Amos. They're just sweet, short, sweet, and to the point. So they're only called minor, not because they have less significance. They just know how to write quicker, I guess. I don't know. So it's just a few chapters. Jonah, right? So this is prophecy. Um, so they were given the task. What, what do they do? The prophets, they're given task to go- call God's people back to their covenant relationship. So a lot of us think prophecy is what? The future. Really, a lot of prophecy is confronting them of their sin today. It's not so much like, ooh, here, here's who will be president, Right? A lot of us want that, but that's not it, right? So this is prophecy. So you'll see, and Jesus mentions this, a lot of prophets aren't accepted. Uh, They're killed because they preach the truth. And so when we read the prophets, we have to also say there's stuff in here I'm tempted to just ignore. I cannot ignore it, right? This is God's word, and I must trust it. The next one is wisdom and poetry. Wisdom and poetry. This is like Proverbs right? Um, Ecclesiastes. These books are written to guide us to make godly decisions. The book of Job is actually a wisdom book. A lot of people don't know that. Um, Here's what's really important, especially like for the Proverbs. They are not legal guarantees from God, but they are powerful principles to follow. This can be very discouraging for people. There's scripture in there that talks about like if you save, you're going to be wealthy. Well, some of y'all save and you'll just never be wealthy. I would also argue if you live in America, you're Wealthy, especially in stance of, of there. But there's no guarantee a lot of this. One that really burdens us, me and my wife, raise up in the chi- your child in the way that he should walk and he will not depart from it. Well, guess what? Sometimes they do depart. And you have to recognize, okay, I did everything I can, but I am totally reliant on the grace of God to work in my son's life or my daughter's life. That's not your burden to bear, uh, you know. especially they're out of the house Don't just start thinking, oh, no, it's because I missed three Sundays in in 1993. No, it's it's okay, right? Others of it, though, it's recognize, you know what? I didn't really raise my child well. I was a hypocrite, so I'm going to use that and encourage the parents of this generation. Say, hey, just live this life honestly and be okay to mess up, but tell your kids about it. You know, so use that as wisdom. But Proverbs, they work a lot of the time, but it's not an absolute guarantee. Uh, And that bothers people, but it's true. Apocalyptic writing. Now, apocalyptic writing are books written to warn and encourage us of the future. So, always remember that the audience here in the scriptures in apocalyptic writing were under persecution. And so, these books served as a call to persevere. I'd really encourage you, when you're doing apocalyptic writing, like, like the book of Daniel or Ezekiel or Revelation... Use a study Bible. Um, Remember, the key principles are to persevere. And remember, the key thing is that Jesus wins. Beyond that, some of y'all, you need to get a real job because, like, we're like, is this the mark of the beast? Is that the Antichrist? What happens if my left foot is a little bit long? Like, what are you doing, you know? So, really, just don't get crazy. Just, okay, what is God's original purpose here? And a lot of times it's to persevere, even though those sinners are succeeding. It's only short-lived, right? Even though you're being persecuted, God is with you in that suffering. Those are the key things to learn from. Um, Not some of that crazy stuff you see on TV. The next thing is the Gospels. So it's important for us to recognize there is the gospel, lowercase g, and that's just the plan of salvation, the good news of Jesus. But then you have capital G Gospels, and these are the four books uh, written of the biography of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus. We have to recognize it's a biography. So not only are we reading the Gospels to see how Jesus offers us a better way to eternal life, but we read the Gospels to say, okay, but Jesus offers us a better way to live now. So, okay, I read that Jesus went away to get some quiet time. I need to also, I need to follow my master and also go away and get some quiet time. I saw that Jesus was compassionate to the leper. I need to be compassionate to those who are the least of these in my community. Does that make sense? So it's a biography. We have to follow him. Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. So you see a lot of Jewish uh, concepts, a lot of drawing from the Old Testament. Mark, his purpose was to show the power of Jesus. It was always quick and punchy and to the point. A lot of people believe it was Peter who told Mark what to write. Um, he was a part of that process. Again, the Holy Spirit was the one who did it. Uh, Luke was a doctor, so he wrote with the skeptic in mind and the book of Acts. He, he was always thinking of the skeptic, and so he wrote accordingly. Uh, John, he had a completely different style than the other three. This is why you have what's called the synoptic gospels. The synoptic, synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, meaning most of those stories, they all align. The structure is typically the same. Sermon of the Mount, you're going to see pictures of it in those. But then John just is like, I do my own thing. And it's like the timeline is all way off. And so you have to recognize sometimes John is not writing Quran chronologically, especially the book of Revelation. It's a very important lesson to learn. It's not, okay, Revelation 1 starts in this era, and then Revelation, you know, it's, it's all over the place. John is very poetic, and so he writes from a completely different perspective. So know that when you read the Gospels, and enjoy that. The other thing are the epistles. These are the books, these are letters written to the local churches. Paul, Wrote almost all of these, right? And so uh, you study the entire letter because every chapter goes together, okay? So when I preach a uh, epistle, I usually just read the whole thing over and over, and then I study chapter 1. And then when I'm preaching chapter 2, I read the whole thing over and over again. And then, because you can get so laser-focused on just a little pericope, a small part of an epistle, you kind of forget the whole point. So a lot of the epistles, too, they're written Um, to establish, uh, number one, like uh, uh, theology, doctrine, um, like the grace of God, and then the last half of the epistles are, okay, now what do we do about it? Real practical. How do we live this Christian life? So grace, but now that we've received grace, how do we walk in that grace? And so it's a really good uh, balance. And so these are written to the local churches, so we have to keep that in mind, okay? He's writing to us. We are the local church, so when we're reading in Ephesians, we have to read it. Okay, how, what does this mean for all of us? And then also, what does this mean for our church? And then what does this mean for me? Okay? So the four C's of Bible reading. I'm just flying through this tonight, um, which I don't think anybody, uh, what is does what is my, my grandpa would say? Nobody's mad at a short sermon, right? Uh, there's a lot of others mad at the other thing. This will leave more time for... Uh, for the questions as well. Um, But this is really important. Again, if you're part of Passion Creek, I really encourage you in August, uh, those, like, these literary work, the narratives, the prophecies, all that, uh, Caleb's got to go even more. Like, what are the questions you should ask when it's a narrative? What are the questions you should ask when it's prophecy? Because they are different questions. And let me say this, too, before we go into the four C's of, of Bible reading. Don't let this overwhelm you. Don't let this go, oh, no, I can't read this today because I don't know if it's prophetic or if it's apocalyptic or just, just read it, okay? A lot of us, we try to, we wait, we think we have to understand in order to read. But here's the unlock. You have to read in order to understand. So don't put the cart before the horse. We think, oh, I can't read it. I don't get it. I know that's why you have to read it. And then you'll start to get it. I was in fifth grade and I was tearing this thing apart. And I was excited and I was learning a ton. And I promise you, I messed up a lot of it. But God is, is gracious. I wasn't teaching a bunch of people. Praise God, it's probably bad. I remember when I was in fourth grade, I would share the gospel and I would tell people. Um, and again, this is just, just my, air, my ignorance. But being raised in Arizona, I would tell people when you're, when you're born, you're Mormon. And then when you believe in Jesus, you become a Christian. That's not right. That's not the right. And I even think I didn't call them Mormon. I called them warmen. So you're a warman. And then, so totally bad. But God in his grace allow me to still read the Bible and to enjoy it. And there's moments in there. And so we have to recognize that there are layers to this thing. So don't get discouraged when your pastor, like, finds something so rich. And they mention the Greek word. And you're like, I'll never know Greek that's okay. And that's why I'm trying to, I try to balance that. I try to use Greek to prove to you, like, I studied this thing. But then also I try not to, because I don't want to overwhelm you and discourage you, right? So there's a balance there. But it's, Spurgeon has some sort of quote that says, the Bible is simple enough where a child can receive it, but extravagant enough where theologians spend their entire life and they'll never fully figure it out. It's this beautiful, multi-layered gift. So just know that. So number one on the four C's of Bible reading, learn the context. How do we do that? The two resources I recommend most, I grew up really leaning in in my high school, college years using the ESV study Bible. So maybe you want to write that down. The ESV study Bible is really helpful in understanding context. There's always the intro of the book before you read the book. And so just read it. It's only a page long. You learn about who's writing it. Uh, you learn about who the audience is, where they're, where they're at. Also, read the books from start to finish. It's not helpful just to be like, all right, God, where am I at today? Oh, cool, F- First Chronicles 9. And then tomorrow, you're like, where am I at? Oh, cool, Psalm 70. I mean, have fun trying that. But that's just gonna be really confusing. Um, so just pick a book. I tend to say, if you've never read the whole Bible, start just with the New Testament and just kind of go one book at a time and give yourself grace. I will say this. You do not need a reading plan. You don't need one. They're helpful. What you do need is a reading pace. What I think is super important to learn the context and really get yourself engaged in the scriptures. Say, you know what? I'm not going to say I'm going to finish 15 chapters or this or that but I am saying, God, every day, I'm going to give you 15 minutes. And then you're going to grow a little bit and say, God, every day, I'm going to give you 30 minutes. So that's what I do. I I put on my alarm and I set it so I don't have my watch on me. I have my alarm on and I lay it down. So I'm not checking the time I've begun. And when my timer, the time that I've established for that day goes off, then I think, okay, should I keep reading? Do I have it in me or can I go do my, my next thing? But I have it calendared because here's what I know. The flesh, Man, you talk about battling the flesh. The moment you read your Bible, you think of everything in the world except the Bible, right? All of a sudden, if you want to go to sleep, just open your Bible. All of a sudden, you're like, right? It's just so hard. That's Satan. That's the flesh. That's the devil. We too easily say like, oh, I just don't read. No, there are demonic. I think there are strongholds happening. You're in a spiritual battle when you open up your Bible. And we need to fight with the weapons that we have. And the sad part, we don't know the weapons if we don't read about it, right? And so we have to just stick through it. And some people will say, you're being too religious. What's the alternative? Don't label it religious. Label it as you are in love with Jesus and you want to hear from him every day. So you're putting forth disciplines in your life, making space in your life. Dallas Willard, you can tell I have extra time, right? So I'm just riffing right now. Dallas Willard, he says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. For too long, we say, Oh, I can't put forth the effort to read my Bible. That's religious. That's me trying to earn my salvation. So I'm just not going to read my Bible. How does that make sense? Now, there's grace for you in the days you miss your Bible reading. You're still saved. You're still perfect in the eyes of God. God still has amazing grace for your life. But you're not enjoying it as much as you could, right? There's an enjoyment that comes from putting yourself in the scriptures. So give yourself that permission. You're going to mess up, it's not going to make sense. But keep learning. Go through the context. And also, when you're doing this, continually, the next C, look for Christ. The Bible is one grand story that points to Jesus. Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, these two guys were disappointed. They thought Jesus was the guy. Now he died. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus opens their eyes, and he says, I am Jesus. I'm the resurrected. I'm the Messiah you're looking for. Do not be disappointed. But then opens, and he shows them the whole Bible and how everything from Abraham and Moses, and David, and Job, all of it is a picture of Jesus Christ. All of them are a, you know, Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better David. Jesus is the true and better Esther. It's a beautiful thing. So look for Christ. Um, very, very important. It's tempting to think the Bible brings power when we make it about ourselves. That's not the case. Okay, so when we read, for example, David slaying Goliath. We then think that's great. Right. I'm going to go slay my Goliath today. And we go to our cubicle, right? And we're like, man, I'm slaying Goliath today. What does that mean? There could be things where God is enabling you to sl- slay the Goliath of debt or fear or whatever. But the major story here is you and I, we are the Israelites trembling in our armor because we know we do not have what it takes to defeat Goliath. But David, Jesus steps in and defeats the giant in our place. So we read about the story of David and say, God, I praise you that you defeated sin. You defeated Satan. You defeated death. I could never do that. I was trembling in my boots, but you went and conquered Goliath for me. And I praise you for that. I'm going to walk in that victory that Goliath has been slayed. Sin has no hold on my life. Satan is... He reminds me of my past. I'm going to remind him of, my, of his future, right? Death will not have the final say. Everything that's sad will one day become untrue because the resurrection is real. I mean, come on, somebody. This is just from reading about David and not, that's right, I'm David. I'm going to get my stones. I'm going to kill somebody today. That is not the right reading of the scriptures. Moses is a picture of Jesus delivering us from the slavery of sin and death, leading us out of oppression and into freedom. There's story after story here. Look for Christ. Look for Christ. The next thing is listen for the call. Listen for the call. So I make sure when I'm reading my Bible, I start by meditating, saying, okay, God, I I love you. Most importantly, I know you love me. Jesus, thank you that you're my friend, you're my Savior, you're my Lord. You know, it's not the same words every time. Holy Spirit, reveal your truth to me today as I read the Scriptures you know, I want to be not just, and I say this a lot, it's in James 1, I don't want to just be a hearer only, deceiving myself, but may I be a doer of the word. Empower me to be a doer of the word today. Then read the scriptures. There's always a call to action in the scriptures. There can be, for example, a sin you need to repent of. How many of us, when we do our Bible time, we're always thinking it just has to be so fun and intimate. We're always thinking, I just need hope. Well, a lot of hope comes from brokenness, from repentance. What can you repent from? Also, sometimes, like when you read the Proverbs, there's just a principle you need to follow. Oh, it says that the Bible, the foolish one is the sluggard. I'm not going to be lazy today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard today. A person, uh, also something in the Bible often, it's often calls us to a person you need to love or a person you need to forgive. You cannot read the words of Jesus and then hold resentment and bitterness and anger towards anybody. That's being a hearer of the word, but not a doer. And you're thinking, I can't do that. I don't have the power. Exactly. That's why you say, God, empower me to forgive this person. I can't, but you can. That's the whole point of the gospel. It's not this to-do list that you have to do in your own power. Jesus has already done it. Now we access it and put it into action. Also, a lot of times when you read the scriptures, there's a blessing you need to thank God for. A lot of times when I'm reading the Psalms, I just recognize I just, I'm filled with a heart of gratitude. Thank you, God. Wow. I'm so grateful for my life. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my church. I'm grateful for the sons. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Thank you, God, for sending Chris Paul. Like, this is amazing. Thank you, God, that one day a church member will take me to a playoff game. Praise God. I'm praising him in advance. I'm looking at you. I want to go. I'm just saying. I'll drive, okay? Listen for the call because God is active. Hebrews 4:12, right? So when you go to the scriptures, he is speaking to you, but let me also encourage you. Sometimes he speaks to you through silence. Sometimes his answer to you is to not give it to you yet. But take encouragement. God's delays Are not God's denials. He's developing within us. See, if He always answered us exactly what we want when we want to, we'd be the ones in control. So a lot of times He humbles us and makes us realize, okay, God, you have the greater purpose here. Sometimes He does answer it directly. Other times He answers it differently. Other times it's delayed, right? Other times it's denied because it's something, He's gonna give you something so much better. So do that. But the fourth one, a lot of us miss out on Bible reading is lean into your community. The reading of the scriptures, you see, I believe it's First Timothy. There's supposed to be a public reading of scripture. This is a public act and it's also a private act. This is why we love to, at our church, have a church member come and read the scripture out loud before I go up to preach. Just to insinuate this is a This is not just me. This is our community engaging in the Scripture. This is why we read it out loud. A lot of churches, and we do this semi-often, we stand in the reading of Scripture, right? It's supposed to be a public practice. This is why we have growth groups, for us to wrestle with it together. And I'm telling you, your growth group will only be good if you're actually wrestling with the text. And be okay if you're wrong. Just like is this right? Let's talk about this more. Instead of, there's a way to look at your Bible so surface level. Yeah, okay, I'm glad I read that. I need to be more loving tomorrow. Yeah, you're right. I need to be more caring. But if we actually let it wrestle and really get to the depths of our hearts and really penetrate our bones and have these deeper discussions, this is when the Bible comes to life in community. You need community. Lean into it. Um, This is uh, final tips, and then I'll answer some of your questions. Um, it's funny. So I wrote this material, uh, like two years ago. And so I might even contradict myself now, but I think it's good enough. So I'm going to keep with it. Uh, Number one, I believe this pick a place. So for me, I do a couple things. I have a, when I wake up in the morning, I have a drink and I wish I liked coffee. Please give me the right recipe. I want to love coffee, but I don't. So I do like this healthy uh, thing. So I make sure I have my drink. And then I light a candle. I just like the smell of a good candle when I'm reading my Bible. And I get the crackling one, you know, the wood wick. Like, I just, like by campfire, it's just amazing. And I'm on my couch. The lights are at a certain, like, I'm weird. I dim it at a perfect level. I mean, it's just, I make sure the scenario is perfect. Then I sit down, and I know where I'm at because I just pick a book. And then I, in the Old Testament and in the New, and I just do a few chapters in each. Right? So I pick a place. I pick a time. Um. I, me and my wife wake up every day at 5 a.m. This is when we do it. I don't want that to be a dis- discouragement to you. A lot of us, we, we say we want to read in the morning, and then it's, you know, noon. Oh, I forgot to remember my Bible today. Oh, well. No, read it now. Like, don't—the like, Bible still makes sense past 10 o'clock, you know? You can still read it. Like, God will still bless your life, even though it wasn't in the morning next to a coffee and you didn't Instagram it. Like, it'll still work, I promise So some of you, your work schedule, you do have to do it at night. I'm so impressed. We have a lady in our church. Um, I guess I won't say her name because I didn't ask her permission, but she's a nurse, and she has a very early shift. And she still, though, wants to work out because health is really important, by the way. Like even reading your Bible and physically working out, those all go together. But she's reading through the chronological Bible, and I'm so impressed every day because she posts about it on Instagram in a loving, helpful way. She wakes up every day at 4 a.m., Why? Because she has a lot of work to do the rest of the day, but she's making the Word of God a priority in her life. So she's getting up at 4. I didn't know anything existed at 4 a.m., right? But she's there. Why? Because she loves loves God, and she knows that God loves her. She knows this is the right way to start her day. I don't want to say that to discourage you, but also I do want to say it to challenge you. Some of us, we have put way too many excuses. We're going to be in heaven one day, and we're going to see all the missed opportunities we had because we were just too tired. We didn't understand enough. Right, So really challenge yourself. Don't condemn yourself, but challenge yourself. Pick a plan. I know I said, don't pick a plan. So maybe, um, I said this a few years ago. That's why I made these booklets a long time ago. I mainly agree with almost everything I've said. Maybe not this one. I do. I have a plan. My plan is not a checkbox one. I like to say this. It's not about marking off tallies for God. It's about marking out time with God. So that's why I say, instead of picking a plan, pick a pace but there does have to be some sort of a plan because, I mean, you don't just do this, right, and then go. So I would say the plan, there are many plans out there. My good friend, Jason Mayfield, he wrote a great one-year Bible reading plan. And it's just all of like the major chunks of it and it's super helpful. So check out Jason Mayfield Bible reading plan on YouTube. It'll be the first result. Um, there's a bunch of different stuff. ESV has a bunch of resources. I also forgot to mention CSB Study Bible is a good one too. So if you're looking at ESV Study Bible or CSB Study Bible, both of those are very good options. Uh, but pick a plan meaning I'm going to read and I'm going to start in the New Testament. I'm going to start at chapter one and keep going. Or and then I'm going to do the Old Testament. Just do something. Some of us, especially if we're in the beginning, don't just start from Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. You can get really discouraged real fast. So really pepper in a lot of New Testament. I think a lot of us need to really get familiar with the New Testament a lot. It'll actually unlock the Old Testament when we begin to read it ourselves. Um, Oh, and and pick a partner. So I think accountability can be helpful. Uh, For me, I'm at a time in my life where I don't need this. It's just natural. And so for me, my wife... We're partners in that way where we get up at the same time and we know what we're doing, but I don't have somebody saying, what did you read today? I don't need that in my life anymore. But some of us do. Some of us, hey, how'd you do today? It can get really legalistic, though. It can get really like, I'm better than you. I read today and you didn't. Nah, 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 nah. right? So don't do that. Uh, But there does need to be this healthy accountability. And Some of us, we're just... We're prone to wander, and we need our friends. We need our brothers and sisters to keep bringing us back to reading the Word. So those would be my final tips for personal study. Again, you, do not have to under, you don't first understand in order to read. You have to read in order to understand.